Welcome to Payne on Politics, a podcast where host Dr. Gregory Payne of Emerson College sits down with fellow experts to discuss the current state of politics, public opinion, and global affairs. In a world growing increasingly complex, communication and critical thinking is key. This only makes the Emerson motto, expression necessary to evolution, more true. Hello, this is Gregory Payne, the Chair of Communication Studies, Co-Director of the Center for Global Communication with Blancarna, and I'm here with one of our superstars, Katie P.B. Uh, Katie, you were a political communication major when you were at Emerson, and as soon as you graduated, you went right to work. Can you sort of give us that pathway forward? Absolutely. Um, well, I had a great experience uh, in the program here at Emerson and allowed me to make uh, really instrumental connections uh, to be able to enter the workforce. So my first job out of college was working at the Mass Democratic Party. I actually got um, first a paid fellowship with them through uh, Professor Mike Brown and Emma Krauss, who's another alum, helped right. connect me with that. Um, and then uh, continued on with them doing some press secretary work um, and also kind of worked um, as a deployee to campaigns. So mm-hmm. uh, during that year, it was 2013, so I helped plan the platform convention. And then I ended up heading uh, to Ed Markey's Senate race um, doing that work and, and really kind of caught the campaign bug. So after that, I uh, did the 2014 gubernatorial in Massachusetts, then went on to uh, manage my first campaign for Andrea Campbell when she was running against Charles Yancey, a 32-year incumbent. Yes. Um, was able to, to you know win that race, and obviously now you see her as our uh, soon-to-be sworn-in attorney general. So really exciting um, to kind of be a part of that first step. And then from there, worked uh, for Kamala Harris on her Senate race, for Gavin Newsom on his gubernatorial in California, uh, worked for Kamala and her presidential before coming back to manage campaigns and eventually opening my own uh, firm, working with candidates up and down the ballot. See, I, I, I'm dizzied by, <laughs> by your success because on one hand, you've really defined yourself here on the East Coast. And then, of course, as you know, I spend time in California. And I think to work for Governor Newsom and also Kamala Harris, if I were to ask you, what would you say is the difference between East Coast, West Coast, or is there any difference? I think there are a lot of differences. I think, you know, some of them are kind of more um, cultural, obviously. This time of year, the weather's an obvious one, but certainly I saw a real difference in the pace, even mm-hmm. on the campaign side. So, you know, the way campaigns are run in California looks a little bit different. Money is much more critical because it's a $4.5 million a week media market, so a little more expensive here, you know, compared to other major media markets here. You know, Boston's obviously kind of a second tier media market, but still really expensive. Um, but it changes the way you do campaigns. The geography of California changes the way. Um, but there is that kind of um, slowness that comes about it. So it was right. interesting to kind of take some of my experience, someone who kind of was raised on the East Coast, you know, I, I like to say it kind of balanced out my perspectives and showed me different ways of doing it and kind of what could translate and what couldn't, which was a good experience. Well, I think what's exciting, Katie, is as you know, we would love to have you come back and teach at Emerson. Yeah. You've met a couple of your colleagues who are back. Uh, my question to you is when you were here, you said you connected with some Emerson alums. We call it, of course, the Emerson Mafia. Now you're part of that particular group. What was it at Emerson, do you think, that kind of gave you that Emerson edge to be such a success at such an early age? Absolutely. I think, one, it was having professors who worked in the field. I think the fact that you were kind of building current skills and and seeing that innovation in the industry as it was happening was really important. Also, you know, because of their networks, I was really lucky that I had professors that were bringing in their colleagues, their networks to speak to us. And a lot of those um, 
guest speakers, if you will, turned into people who were my first bosses, were my first mentors, right? So I, I was really able to learn how to network without maybe the intimidation of calling it networking right, right. Um, in a way that was kind of this educational environment. So I think that was really critical. I also think some of my classes had really kind of applied skills work. So I remember in particular, there was a class where we talked a lot about um, kind of crisis communications and speech writing taught by Alex Goldstein, who now has his own communications yes. firm uh, in Boston, but at the time had been press secretary for Governor Patrick. Um, and that, you know, we talked about some of those hard skills. And I think, you know, some of the best classes I had really focused on those kind of hard skills. And a lot of those professors or guest speakers, you know, are still a big part of my professional networks today. So when we talk about, you know, if we have the KDB PBs coming in as, as freshmen, <laughs> we talk about the Emerson Mafia. Yeah. And sometimes people go, well, that's just a brand that's uh, yeah. that really doesn't exist. But I think the success that we've had in the department, which we've grown 70 percent since 2014, is because we have such good connections. You would say there's veracity in that? So, and I, I think particularly in the kind of political communication space, because it is a smaller program, um, you know, in terms of the folks from my class, we all stayed in touch with each other. We're all doing something in the field, often something different. But a few times I've gotten a chance to collaborate with my peers and have always kind of uh, sought those out. So I think part of it is kind of the structure of the political communication department and, and kind of how we came up through it. Um, and part of it is just the fact that it is kind of more targeted. I think some of the cynicism comes around some of the other majors where it's so big that not everyone's able to make those initial connections, but yes. I, I felt our program really kind of had veracity to that, yeah. I think what's been exciting to me as the chair is a couple of years ago, I think when you had just emerged in California, we had part of our global summit and you came back and I think you and Nico, who you just saw yeah. today, who's teaching, uh, were able to sort of connect and that was yeah. great. My question to you is one thing as as you know is we're looking to the, the people like yourself who are really making headway to come back and teach what are some areas that excite you with regard to teaching at your alma mater? Absolutely. I'm really excited about kind of how we train this next generation of Emersonians to really have those kind of hard skills, right? So kind of taking the knowledge they're gaining from some of their other classes and giving them the skills to apply it to a future workplace. So whether that's, you know, hard skills around communication, stuff like speech writing, mm -hmm. or whether that's fundraising, you know, field organizing, other aspects of campaigns that are really important, you know, as many of those skills as you can build in advance, it makes you much more competitive in the workplace. It allows you to better understand what you're walking into uh, when you're getting those jobs because campaigns are really fast paced, you know, and they're the kind of environment, um, you know, where your success is kind of indicative of how, how quickly you're able to learn. So if you're able to have a head start on your peers, you're that much more competitive mm -hmm. in the workforce. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, one thing that uh, Jess Unruh, who of course was a, a California icon, used to say that money is the mother's milk of politics. <laughs> and you've been very successful in fundraising. If you were to teach a course at Emerson, and we hope that you can maybe do so in the fall or, or summer, uh, what would the fundraising course look like for students? Yeah, you know, I think it would really tackle some of the kind of fundamentals. I think fundraising itself can be really intimidating. You know, when I first did my fr first fundraising work on a campaign, I was kind of like, I couldn't even sell Girl Scout cookies. It was really intimidating for me. I didn't think I'd be good at it. But, but then when you I managed <laughs> Gavin Newsom and Kamala Harris. Yeah. And those, you know, in, kudos. in the case of, of Gavin Newsom, that's over $53 million, right? So that's real money. Um, we need you to come back and raise money at Emerson. Yes. <laughs> but, but I think, you know, one thing that happened to me early on in my career was I was able to go 
to a couple of professional trainings, organizations like Emily's List hosted them, right. um, and, and they really broke it down in a way that was accessible. So how do you kind of pass on some of that knowledge, right? Talking to people about who do you you know, fundraise from and what are the actual steps, right? Talking about the stewardship piece of it, the relationships piece. Because what I found when I started fundraising was that so many of the other skills I built in the communication side of my career and in the in the field organizing side of my career were absolutely applicable, right? The, that relationship management, that ability to distinctly communicate ideas to make it matter to people. Why should they give? So instead of you know asking someone to invest an hour of mm -hmm. their time to volunteer, you're asking someone uh, to invest uh, you know their hard-earned dollars. So how do you do that in a way that clearly communicates why this matters, what it goes to? Uh, and I think those foundational skills allow me to be really successful. So I'd be looking to teach some of the kind of fundamentals. You know, who do you raise from? How do you raise? What does that look like? How to kind of build finance plans? So mm -hmm. some of the kind of hard applied skills around actually building out a program. Um, uh, managing the aspects of that. Well, you know, I think one thing you, you've mentioned is relationships. And, you know, the one thing Emerson's done only since 1880 is <laughs> tell stories. Yeah. So you've been quite effective in terms of communication and storytelling. Do you think the, the basic foundation in communication has been an asset to get you where you are? Absolutely. Every part of uh, political communication is storytelling. Whether you're mm -hmm. telling a story to your team about how you're going to win, whether you're right. telling a story uh, to the people who are donors, volunteers, voters about why this matters, uh, whether you're telling your kind of own personal brand story. You know, I think one thing that I've heard a lot um, in my career and, and I credit some of my success to is I think I was very good at personally branding. I, I was someone who worked to elect women in progressives and, and kind of really thought about my brand as I was taking Mm -hmm. on new jobs in a way that, you know, my name kind of became synonymous and it, it cracked me up when I launched my firm over a year ago now. Um, I got some calls from, from white male candidates running statewide who said, oh, I know you don't like white men. And I, I had to laugh, but it, it was because everyone yes. knew that Katie cared about electing women. And I think finding interesting ways and, and part of that model I learned, um, you know, from watching people like now Congresswoman Ayanna Presley, right? She was so dogged in how she told the story of who she was and her values. Mm -hmm. and, and it really allowed people to kind of associate her with that. So I kind of applied that professionally based on some of the skills I built at Emerson. And I think it really allowed me um, to be in front of the right opportunities, the kind of opportunities I was interested in and rise through the ranks. Well, you know, I've talked to several friends of mine who've, who know uh, your work in California. And they say that you're so good, that you <laughs> empathize and that you always have a very positive attitude. Uh, we're so excited and proud of you with your career. When you were looking at someone like Andrea Campbell and you had the odds going, why would you do this? Yeah. Uh, tell me, how do you decide on a candidate like Andrea, who of course has been incredible. Yeah. Uh, how did you decide to do that and what did you take away from that extraordinary race? Absolutely. I think one thing that I always say to young people who are getting into campaigns is like at the end of every campaign I finished, the next campaign I would start didn't exist yet. The candidate hadn't decided to run, right? Like, you know, there's a lot of variables. So I kind of urge people to be patient and open. So when I finished that gubernatorial race, I was thinking about going more national. Mm -hmm. You know, I kind of came off this big gubernatorial race. It has a huge team. And I was like, I want to do something big. Um, and I had a couple of people reach out to me and say, there's this woman, she's going to run for city council. And, and I kind of had to check myself because I was like city council, right? Like I want to go work on a congressional because at that time I thought congressionals were very glamorous, yes. um, which is very funny because congressionals are a lot more similar uh, to a city council race in a lot of ways. Yes, yes. Um, but, but right, you know, that kind of, uh, naivete of inexperience, right? Um, but they urged me to kind of 
uh, meet with her. We had a conversation and we just instantly connected. Mm -hmm. And I think one thing that people always told me is, is work for the person who should win, not who's going to win, right? You want to work for someone who you align with values wise, but you also like, cause you're not going to agree a hundred percent of the time. So if you don't like the person, if you wouldn't have dinner with the person, you shouldn't be working for them because this work is hard. The hours are grueling, you know, it, you have to give a lot to it. So I, I kind of felt it like in my soul, like this woman, um, is incredible. There was a lot of my own personal why of why I do politics, the traumas I've endured, that we kind of had the shared uh, pain into purpose thread that mm -hmm. we instantly connected on. And I knew that I could really bring something to her campaign that she didn't have. So I'd, I'd agreed to be kind of her deputy campaign manager. And then two months later, I was like, no one else is here. And she was like, surprise, it's you, um, which uh, the rest is kind of history. But obviously, we went on to win that race. That was huge uh, for my career, but also, you know, huge for, for her and, and the work she did on the council, then her mayoral campaign and, mm -hmm. and now as our attorney general, right? Being able to be with someone through that journey and, and now today call her one of my dearest friends. You know, I think that's such a, a beautiful blessing of politics because it is, um, you know, that kind of personal and political is so intertwined. Right. Well, I, I think every, every, everything you just said resonates so well because uh, as people can see over my shoulder is Tom Bradley. And, you know, Bradley was someone who inspired me a great deal. Uh, of course, he lost in a very close election where the Bradley effect people didn't vote for him because of the race, even though they said they would. Yeah. The only reason I'm at Emerson is because he said to me, I've gotten over that race. You haven't. You need to go to Harvard to get this degree. <laughs> so my, my view to you is uh, how do you, being as successful as you are and in such a cynical environment keep a reputation which if I had to succinctly state people say Katie cares so how do you keep that very positive attitude and look at politics as a noble art rather than what some people see it as yeah you know I think campaigns are both an art and a science and I think for me um, I've never believed in hype, whether about myself or other people. So, you know, I kind of always saw, you know, no one's a genius. And, and I had a boss really early on who said, when you win, you're a genius. When you lose, you're an idiot. And, there, and, and there's nothing you can do about it. Because, yes, yes, you know, yes. if it rains on election day, right. suddenly your calculations are all off, right? So so I think um, kind of understanding that not everything's in your control, that there are some things that are a science. How do you learn to do the science well? And for the art, understanding what art moves people, how to tell those stories, right? So, so kind of balancing those two things, but also taking my own ego out of it. And I think for me, that was really important. You know, I, I also think being really connected to your personal why, why you mm -hmm. do this work. I think mm -hmm. a lot of people kind of start going through the motions and that's how they get cynical. Um, but for me, you know, my personal story of kind of how I ended up doing campaigns and, and funnily enough, Emerson was a big part of that. Um, you know, I uh, am a sexual assault survivor. I talk about that a lot. That's kind of how I became radicalized into politics because mm -hmm. I realized a lot of the policies I wanted to see um, were being made uh, often by straight white men who did not have the experiences I had. Uh, and I was studying journalism first at Emerson mm -hmm. uh, before my first semester sophomore year. A professor I had here, Kathy Ann Reinstein, who was yes. the majority whip of the house. Yes, wonderful. Um, uh, very sweetly pulled me aside after one class and said, you have a lot of opinions for someone who wants to be a journalist and gave me an internship at the State House the next day. And I always tease her when I see her. I'm like, this is your fault. Yes. Um, but it, it really her. did. Yes. Yeah. But I, but I think, you know, to have the kind of support system that one invests in you 
right? But two, to also kind of stay grounded in that. I always did volunteer work, um, even during campaigns, because I thought it was important to remember like why I was doing it, why representative mm -hmm. government mattered to mm -hmm. me, why those long hours were worth it, those sacrifices personally, right? And I think some people kind of lose the thread of their why, right? You know, they have the kind of ambition piece, but they forget why they wanted to do that good work, right. why they wanted to help people. And I think for me, staying grounded in that has been really powerful. Well, it's interesting because you mentioned Kathy. She and I have remained close and she's <laughs> such a wonderful, inspirational she's person. Incredible. So I'm very happy that <laughs> that connection doesn't surprise me. My question also would be, uh, as successful as you've been and as good as your story is and telling stories and the credibility, have you ever, has Katie ever thought of running for office? I have always been more of a behind the scenes person. Even being on video now, I'm like, oh, <laughs> I, I, I kind of prefer, part of what I love about campaigns too is the ability to mentor others, right? That yes. management piece, my favorite part of managing campaigns is building a team and investing in them. I've done a lot of different trainings for organizations and obviously our conversations about potentially teaching right. fall in line with that. You know, I always saw myself as someone who can kind of use my skills and know how um, to help others um, reach their full potential. But for me, running for office was never my personal path. <laughs> well, I think that we're blessed to have you in, in the background. Uh, one thing we've discussed is if you were looking at campaign planning and some of the yeah. traditional courses, given your success and, of course, the tremendous changes we're seeing in social media and campaign dynamics, what would you include in those? Yeah, I think really, again, getting into kind of the more tactical pieces, I think there's so many parts of campaigns that are evolving constantly, right? So actually allowing people to understand, okay, here's how you run campaigns, but what does each part look like? Because I think often when I talk to Emerson students who are thinking, you know, they're about to graduate, they're thinking about their first job, they don't necessarily really know, like, what parts of a campaign are there? What mm -hmm. departments? What does it look like? How to kind of navigate that? Right. So I think, you know, being able to sh give people enough of a little taste of that tactical side, right? What does the field department do? And what kind of skill sets do you need to do well there? What does it look like to plan that out? Because that's such a big part of campaigns. What does it look like on the digital side, right? I, I think, you know, kind of taking it from the top line conceptual stuff and really taking it down, you know, um, I was talking to Spencer Kimball and, and we were laughing that, you know, a lot of students, you know, weren't aware you needed signatures to be able to get on the ballot, right? right. Even ballot access stuff. Yes. So, you know, I think we, we kind of have a, a dearth because a lot of, you know, high schools disinvented, uh, disinvested in civics programs. You know, a lot of people don't understand the system until they're in it. And Very I certainly sad. was the same. Yes. I, didn't, I didn't know kind of how our process worked until I was thrown into it. And I think as much as we can prepare our students so they can be successful in the workplace, that they could build those skills, um, but that they also kind of have some of that clarity because, you know, there's nothing worse than kind of seeing some of these young people entering the workforce and a month and realizing, like, I did not want to do this, right. right? This is not kind of what I thought it was. And, yes. and how do you prepare students more for that and also allow them, you know, whether it's that they're going to be covering the campaigns as journalists, whether they're just going to be active civically, whether they're going to be advocates, right? Whatever they end up doing, I think an understanding of how our elections mm -hmm. um, work, how power building works, right? All of that stuff is, is just really relevant. Well, I think, you know, you've, you've given such a vast uh, uh, array of uh, concepts and I think uh, all the areas of uh, competence that students need to have. One thing that I was going to ask you is given you seem to be very much like Spencer Kimball, a dear friend and workaholic, as we all do, we have a passion for what we do, which is why it's exciting to have you come in, coming and teaching because one thing the department loves is people that engage with students and you're very magical about that. What does KDPB do to relax? 
relax. Just sort of turn off the campaign. Yeah, well, I love traveling. I was just in Quebec yes. City this I've last weekend. I've seen some great was... pictures of you, yes. Um, I do. I love being out in nature. So, you know, hiking, camping, stuff like that. I think a lot of people are surprised about that side of me, but there's nothing like actually being unreachable on your phone and unplugging truly. So, you know, I definitely do a bit of that, you know, music, all that stuff. So, Good. you know, I think it's, it's important um, to not only be able to do good work, um, but you also have to feed the parts of your soul outside of work um, so you don't lose sight of, of kind of who you are as a person. That's really important. So you have to take care of yourself. <laughs> yes. Yes. Well, one thing I would like to do is, again, thank you for coming and sharing this episode of Paint on Politics. I think one of the most exciting aspects of this program, but also teaching, is to look at the success of people like you. We're so proud of what you're doing because you're such a good force. And what I would hope that we can do is, I have a friend out in Mexico, in uh, Rosarito, that has transformed a women's pathways in Mexican wow. politics. So maybe we can get you down to talk to Rosé Torres and Laura Torres uh, sometime during the summer, and we can get you south of the border for some tacos and margaritas. I love it. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much, Katie Pay B, for Paint on Politics. Take care.